Welcome to Indie Insider, the weekly show where we chat with video game industry professionals about their projects, their stories, their advice to others, and of course, their thoughts on everything indie. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show, I sit down with Ryan Hewer, founder of Little Red Dog Games. He and I chat about their first major release, Rogue State, as well as their upcoming title, Deep Sixth. We also chat about making games part-time and with your partner, his thoughts on breaking into Steam, and of course, Ryan shares his advice for other aspiring indie developers. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the internet, and please leave a review. In addition, here's an important disclaimer. Rogue State was published by Blackshell Media, the company that also presents this podcast. However, the Indie Insider podcast has nothing to do with the publishing arm of the company, and my interactions with Ryan Hewer are unbiased, and all questions and comments are entirely my own. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Finally, special thanks to Ryan for joining us on the show, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song Going Higher in the show. And now, the founder of Little Red Dog Games, Ryan Hewer. Welcome to Indie Insider Today. I am talking with Ryan Hewer of Little Red Dog Games. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing all right. It's the beginning of the week here. Um, how was your weekend? Pretty good? Uh, not bad. Not bad at all. I've got a, a three-week-year-old at home. So, oh, wow. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> Um, babies and game dev are uh, a complicated mix, but uh, but I'm okay. Things are okay. It's yeah, all going to be okay. Bet. I would bet. So you are married, correct? I am, yes. And your wife is actually part of the company, helps out, yes? Just she more? is, yeah. We're a cottage industry in the, the purest sense of the word. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we live out in uh, remote, rural New York State, and... Uh, uh, for us, uh, we're part-time developers, um, okay. so we both work as school teachers, and uh, when we come home, we then both work as uh, as game devs. How did you How did you get to that point? Both deciding that you were going to be teachers and then also being game developers. How did that happen? Uh, what well, started off with me um, before coming out here? I worked uh, in Canada. I was a, a nuclear weapons inspector and then a senior diplomat for the government of Canada. Um, assigned That's incredible. Middle- That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's been a heck of a journey um, assigned to the <laughs> Middle East. And uh, uh, after better part of a decade of that, I had enough. So uh, decided to just start over from scratch and do something completely different. Um, that's a lot of where the inspiration for Rogue State came from. Um, sure, I can see that. I wanted to make a game about countries that don't get games made about them. Um, so it, it really was kind of drawing from a lot of my feelings about my work and a lot of my experiences just being out there in the Middle East and um, coming over here to America. I moved to America, emigrated here, 
uh, and just thought, where can I do the most good? Um, and teaching seemed to be a really good place to start. So that's, I uh, got myself a, a teaching degree, a master's in, in education. Excellent. Uh, and now I work as a grade seven history teacher. <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> that's great. No, yeah. that's fantastic. I can totally see it. That's awesome. Right. Good for you. Kids love it. Kids love having, you know, somebody that wants to talk about video games with them. It can hold a conversation about this stuff with them. And they like to see what goes on to the surface when it comes to, to running a good game and, and also, you know, running a business. So for, sure. for them, it's, you know, we, we have a good time. And I'm starting to do a new course now that teaches game development at the school. It's, uh, it's good. My wife is also a school teacher. She's been doing it much longer than me. And she's uh, an art teacher. Uh, and from the get-go, you know, she was always over my shoulder saying, we could do this better here. Why don't you move that there? Why don't we do this here? <laughs> and it just kind of organically fell into place that um, when it comes to, to art and design, she really is an expert. Uh, so we form this company together. And you actually work with a couple of other people in your company, correct? Yep. Yeah. So um, we have uh, a guy in, in Germany. Uh, his name is uh, Dennis Comtes. Uh, okay. Dennis joined us. I actually worked with him before there was a little Red Dog Games. Uh, we worked on a um, a charity project, uh, which was a point-and-click adventure game to raise money for the Foundation Fighting Blindness. And uh, he joined as a musician, and we had a very, very good rapport. And then... When we were just starting to pen out this idea for Rogue State, um, I needed somebody that was um, at, more or less at my level for when it comes to programming just to, to help out with it. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, he's actually a far more talented programmer than I'll ever be in my life. Oh, wow. <laughs> As time went by, it made less and less sense for him to be a musician and more sense for him to be taking on um, a great role in the game. Uh, we eventually designed Rogue State, the two of us, as a as a true partnership. Okay. Uh, okay. And it did really well. And over working together for years now, we have developed a really really good rapport. Um, we uh, speak to each other on a, a daily basis. I don't think a day goes by um, when we're not communicating in some way to each other. Which is weird because we've never actually met face to face, mm -hmm. um, and here we are now. Gosh, almost uh, five years later, could be even more. And now he's taken. He is the the programming lead on Deep Six. He's the real expert there, uh, and my job is to to support him in any way I can. Uh, we also have a um, a primary artist. He is a, a very talented illustrator from uh, from Canada, um, not too far from Ottawa. And he uh, he got his background in comic books and T-shirts and concept art and that sort of thing. And we brought him on to Rogue State for some character sketches and uh, and some other stuff. And again, working with him has been a real treat. Um, with Deep Sixth, we, we went to him first and said, we want you to take on a, a bigger role with this one. Um, set him up with some nice equipment and uh, haven't looked back, so... That's that's the core family, um, and we bring in some subcontractors here and there for things that we might need a little help with, uh, 3D uh, animation, um, uh, audio development, that sort of thing. Voice actors, of course. We've had a lot of voice actors over the years. Sure. Well, let me dig into that just a little bit because it's pretty interesting. Uh, 
what is it like to work with a company and with you know people that have a heavy hand in your project that you have never met in person or you know that you've connected with through the internet who are almost you know real employees for your company how do you make that work it's it's been really interesting um <laughs> we for me i mean i i usually get a good reading on a person um if they get really really excited about ideas um mm-hmm. the the money comes together later um and i i said to to dennis if you're meant to be a, a game developer you'll be paying to do it um nothing will stop you from being a game <laughs> developer um when you come home um you don't want to sit down and play games you want to sit down and think about designing games and it's just in your blood. It's just all you really want to do. And it, this really is one of those stories where, you know, the money will come. And we're not getting rich off this. Um, but we are uh, we are doing what we love. And we're creating products that are authentic to, to what we want to create. Um, sure. As far as the experience of working with people remotely, for us, it's a huge advantage. We've got um, a team that more or less is spread all over the world so we used to joke with rogue state that not an hour went by where somebody wasn't working on the game at that moment (laughs) you know i'll put in my four hours i'll log out somebody else will put in four hours and and it was a beautiful thing to wake up in the morning and know that your game was further along than it was when you went to sleep at night i (laughs) you can't put a price on that feeling it was amazing uh and with deep six it's very much the same way um, I'll be at work at my day job and I'll be getting constant texts and reports coming in saying I did this, we had some problems with that we need to fix things here, we've got some hiccups there um, and then he can go to his day job and I could be doing the same thing so uh, you develop a really really good rapport um, communication is the most important thing in my company right now uh, in fact I, I think communication we spend a lot of time on it but it, it really does pay off um, and we're constantly in contact with each other so that you know what they're working on, you know what's going on at any given point in time. Uh, and as new people come into the fold, you know, they're starting to understand, I include them in every communication we do. We don't do anything in secret. We don't keep information from each other. And a person that's taking on a very little, a very small role, like a, um, a short-term writing contract we mm-hmm. treat them like a member of the family. We let them sit at the table with everyone else. We bring them in on design decisions. We let them play test. We include them on everything that they want to be included on because it's just it's our design philosophy. It's our company principles. It's just that's what we do. I can see a bit of the teacher in you as well in that, right, that approach. I like <laughs> Maybe. it. Maybe. It's great. <laughs> well... How do you go about finding those people? I mean, I know that you, um, you've you know met some people that you've worked with previously on other projects, but you know you said some of the subcontractors that you bring in, and uh, you know even voice actors. How do you go about beginning the process of finding those people? Um, for programmers, there's no alternative. I mean, I have to work with you for a while to figure out if you're the right programmer. Sure. Um, for our team and with Dennis, uh, again, we had a lot of experience working together and. Uh, we both knew each other through a community of amateur game developers that used uh, Adventure Game Studio, which is a, an old point-and-click 
adventure game creation utility and people are really pushing the limits of that engine right now so we were we were kind of on that that forefront of maybe we can retask this engine for something bigger um but for things like artists uh usually DeviantArt is a, a first stop i'll put a call out in DeviantArt. i'll go browsing through profiles um i'll get connections from other artists uh leads on that sort of thing sure that uh, makes it's sense. tough tough for 3d artists 3d modelers um i did a lot of cold calls a lot of uh, a lot of time with DeviantArt as well uh there are a few other sites i'd put calls out for um and you know you, you get maybe 50 to 100 people coming back to you um and maybe 25 or so would have the skills that you're looking for um 10 would be reliable and you just start narrowing it down from there from you know who fits our needs and and our culture here right sure um voice actors is is particularly difficult and with rogue state i would say voice acting was a real bottleneck a surprising bottleneck for us because we had a really hard time finding um uh, arab speakers um and and voice actors with male and female arab accents that were um authentic sure that makes sense interesting uh, so yeah we went through voice actors guild we went through a number of voice acting sites just you know register put a call explain what we are explain what we do um and just see if anyone's interested but that was really really tough all right so we've talked about the family we've talked about the little red dog family mm-hmm. um and congratulations by the way i don't know if i've said that to you Thank and to you. crystal yeah that's that's amazing so the new member of the family right so let's take a step back talk to me a little bit about where little red dog even came from where's the name come from uh little red dog is named after uh uh my beloved uh, shiba inu and okay. uh he uh i mean he just passed away very recently it's uh it's a shame, but he has been with us for, he was with us for 16 years. And oh, wow. he was the, very much the mascot of the company. He had all the personality in the world. And, uh, and this is his legacy. Um, and we wanted uh, a brand that was, we wanted a brand that, that was family friendly. We wanted a brand that, uh, that was distinct, um, that, you know, when you think of of dogs that are red, you think Clifford the big red dog. We're the <laughs> we're the little red dog. We're the the okay. one that's that's uh, smaller and maybe a little punchier. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, mostly it was just because I love my dog. That's that's really the short answer to it. Sure, it doesn't need to be more than that. Yeah, I like it. Sweet. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your loss, but that's a nice uh, memorial. That's right. Mind. Yeah, that's the way yeah. we feel. There you go. Well. We've talked about your games already, uh, just just in passing, but let's go ahead and dive into it. Tell me about Rogue State. What is this game? Rogue State is a point-and-click country simulator. You play the role of a uh, you play the role of uh, a Middle Eastern despot, and the country is in a state of chaos. Um, there's just been a violent revolution. The monarch is dead. You've assumed temporary control of the country. And where you go from there is is really in the player's hands. Um, You have four competing factions within your country. You have your liberals, your patriots, your fundamentalists, 
and your uh, your capitalists, and they are all vying for you to represent their interests. Okay. Um, the the real theme of this game, we really really wanted to hit home that uh, in the Middle East, um, like anywhere in the world, it's not so much a question of of individuals who are inherently evil or, or negative things happening. People tend to respond to larger forces, populist forces. Um, and as a player, you'll sit there in the driver's seat and think, well, I'm going to be the most progressive leader ever of this country. And you're going to realize how completely unsustainable that is and how your leadership can't really weather that. Or you'll sit down at the game and think, well, I'm going to be a brutal tyrant. And you'll rigor- figure out really quickly that that's going to blow up in your face as well. Yeah. So um, this is a game that favors moderation. And we really wanted that to be manifest in design as you're you're juggling all of these very different needs. And while all this is going on, you've got a brother, Farouk, who will be enjoying your every mistake and is waiting for you to slip up so that he can lead an uprising against you and seize power for himself. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, it's very much a race against time. Um, it's about solidifying your base because a revolution will be coming. Uh, and when that revolution comes, you need to be ready um, with the support of the people, with uh, with um, a sizable, you know, loyal military. You've also got external pressures. The Americans will meddle in your affairs. Russians will meddle in your affairs. Um, and hundreds of things could happen in your country. You could have... Uh, um, Basically, if it's been in the newspaper in the in the past five years, we found a way to incorporate it mechanically somehow in this game. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. It's it's really current events. The game, and when we designed this thing, um, we never really wanted it to be about Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan or ISIS mm-hmm. or Al Qaeda or anything like that. We really wanted to make a game about countries that don't get games made about them. So we were thinking of our country being something like. Kuwait or Oman or maybe even Yemen if you want something less stable. Sure. And uh, we wanted this to be an opportunity to portray the Middle East as a very neutral place. Um, it the the region has the the unfortunate legacy of being the villain in so many titles, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted it to to be seen as like any other place. You know, you've got things that work you've got things that don't work you've got bad decisions you've got good decisions and you've got people that are basically mostly just want to get by with their day in fact when we first designed this game it was going to be themed a presidential simulator where you're in the united states and you're the president and we ended up abandoning that just because it wasn't realistic enough you know uh, um, we wanted something where you had more individual control over your country as a person interesting yeah well, uh, I don't want to talk about politics too much, or, or really at all, um, mm. but I think it is important to note that at the time of this recording, um, there is an immigration ban that mm-hmm. is uh, being heavily discussed in the media um, as put in place by President Trump here in the United States uh, through executive order, um, and I can't help but you know think about that as we talk about rogue state, as we talk about um, this area in the world, and um, as we talk about, well, you're your approach to um, countries in the Middle East. So uh, it, it's just an interesting contextual thing that I thought that I would bring up. Do you do you have anything that you think about when 
when talking about that and looking at this game uh, in this time? I think that uh, I, I think that unequivocally um, we're trying to humanize a place that too frequently gets demonized. Um, when we we made a very um, early decision to um, to not refer to Islam specifically in the game, um, and instead we decided that we would describe faith as. Um, the old ways we call it the old ways oh, okay. and the old ways are described as um, rich and beautiful and generally um, um, supported in the region and yet you still have those elements that have perverted it to serve a political agenda um, and those that um, use it as a justification for violence and that those individuals are in an extreme minority um, we sure. really wanted this game to, to. I mean, we, we kind of tackled the politics head on. And when we look yeah. at something in the newspaper, you know, we translated it over. And there are very few things that we said, uh, that's too serious for, for a game. That's not fun. Um, if you're playing a game that's a Middle East policy simulator, you're probably not going to be uh, turned <laughs> off by by materials being too heavy or too weighty. Fair. Um, yeah. We yeah we we want this game as a as an avenue to promote tolerance, um, and we accept as well that you know a player can take this tool and uh, say oh look at all these bad things I can do I'm a, I'm a despot look at me, um, but looking at the feedback we've seen in our comment section, looking at our fan base in the region as well, I think we've done a really good really good job uh, accomplishing our goal. I appreciate your statements on that um, and, and just your approach. So thank you for sharing those thoughts. Uh, your game came out, uh, well, a little while ago now. And uh, tell me what the response was like as uh, Rogue State came out. What what did you see? What did you learn through that release process? Ah, I tell you, like, it, some things really worked um, and some things didn't. This was our first game. Uh, it was made in an engine that... Um, I don't think I'll work with again because it, it really um, bound our hands into what we could accomplish and, and what we couldn't. Um, what was the engine? If I uh, It was made in Adventure Game Studio. So we used an Adventure Game engine and basically rebuilt it to facilitate a strategy game. Okay. Um, and maybe that was a little overambitious. So, <laughs> um, you know, once we got through all the little technical hurdles here and there, um, the feedback was was surprisingly positive, actually, um, and a lot of people were very forgiving of the some of the the aesthetic flaws. Um, the three D animation wasn't stellar. Um, the medium the medium was uh, I mean having a point and click adventure game as a means for expressing a more strategy concept mm-hmm. was risky. And I think it may not have hit the target. Looking back on critical feedback, they a lot of people said, you know, completing an action required walking to a place. And that felt, you know, like it was too time-consuming. Sure. Um, Interesting. But things that c- people really, really took to, they liked the topic. They liked the topic material. They liked um, the lore of the region. I mean, we created a fictional country, and then we gave it a fictional history, and then we created fictional characters. And when we designed them, we thought of them as as throwaway characters. And players were getting into conversations about, I can't believe that happened with this person. 
and have you tried this with this person? And we kind of had to laugh and be like, we just did it for a laugh. You know, we threw them in as an Easter egg, but they were building their own lore and their own backstory with these characters. And we're thinking, wow, they're really invested in the narrative side of all this. Um, and uh, people were, I mean, people were looking at that time, I think, for a turn-based country simulator, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are nods to influences from the democracy games, um, influences from um, from other uh, other games here and there, games from the 80s. Balance of Power comes to mind as well. Oh, okay. Um, dating myself a little bit here. But, <laughs> and the... Uh, I, th- I think it was it was the right time for for a game like that. Um, I think if I do it again, and, and we do intend to do it again, there there will be a rogue state too. I can say that quite comfortably. I think we'd go with a different way of telling the story. I think we'd focus more on um, strategic elements, map elements, um, and uh, and and it would feel more like a board game than than a, a point-and-click adventure game. I think we were just working with the, the engine and building our game around that engine rather than telling uh, the story I think people wanted to hear. But, yeah, um, I mean, there is... I think that the feedback was really strong. Um, and, uh, yeah, people were liking it. Well, that's great. Uh, congratulations. That sounds Thanks. like fantastic. And it seems like you took a lot away from it, uh, both positive and negative, and it sounds like you're... Uh, keeping that in mind and using that in a in a positive way moving forward, and uh, we've learned so much between this game and and what we're working on now. It's really amazing. Um, it's almost at the point where I I just want to talk about where we're going from here because we've got <laughs> so much potential now, and we're very very excited about our new products. And um, Rogue State for us proved that there's a market for the kind of games that we make. Um, and that the the business model that we use for making our games is viable. It does work, um, and it really helped us build a really strong relationship with our team. Uh, and it answered a lot of questions for us. You know, when you when you start making commercial games, there's a, your first one. There's a whole lot of question marks. You know, what can you expect to sell? Um, what kind of uh, of expenses are you going to have along the way? Um, how hard will promoting this thing be? You know, will I be able to get this in the hands of journalists and so forth? Mm-hmm. Now we have answers to those questions. Um, our sophomore title is going to be completely different. Well, now I'm excited. You got me all worked up. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your sophomore title. I want to know. Okay, Deep Sixth. Deep Sixth, uh, we're describing it as a roguelite survival space sim. So the idea is um, it's... A short game with a very, very steep difficulty curve. Uh, you play the role of a pilot. We're calling her the pilot for now. She doesn't have a name. Okay. And uh, she's been sentenced for uh, a crime. And uh, it's in the future. And as and her sentence is she has to pay off her debts. And they sell her contract out to a large mega corporation. And so this mega corporation goes and they buy the debts of prisoners and you're basically their indentured servant. You're their, you're their slave, effectively. And this company, the Astra Corporation, they've purchased your contract and you are now an involuntary stellar cartographer. 
Your job now is to go into space and map it. And as you map space, you'll be paying off your debt with whatever you find out there. Oh, wow. And you think to yourself, okay, cool, I'm in space. That's, that's, that's a sweet deal. I can live with that. Um, but there's more to it. So you, you're basically dumped on this, uh, this space station on the edge of a distant nebula on the other side of the galaxy. And for some reason, this corporation is obsessed with this nebula. Um, and it, I should say as well that this corporation has, the, um, has a patent on a bit of technology that allows it to fold space. So you can immediately teleport, basically, from one space to another. Um, okay. and, and it's technology that, that they largely control. And they're, they're out there in the cosmos doing their thing, but this one nebula has them fascinated, and they keep recruiting people like you to go out there and map it. So you live on this tiny little one-person space station, and uh, you're basically a prisoner. You can't go back to Earth. You're stuck there. And every so often, uh, you get an assignment that says, you know, you need to get mapping, and we need you to collect this, 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 you need to find some of this mineral, you need to scan some of this stuff, whatever it is. And you go into a little spaceship, and the spaceship is designed for one person, and all it does is it warps into a place and scans that space um, and, and maps it. And your job is just to map it and then come back. But there's a catch. And the catch is, is that the areas of space where she's looking, there are space monsters. In fact, there's life out there in that nebula, and it's animal, and they can be very hostile. So you're given some very basic defensive measures, but also the spacecraft itself, um, it's got multiple rooms in it, it's fragile, and it's like any big machine. It breaks down, things don't work. Mm-hmm. So your attention is divided between what's going out there, what's going on out there in space, and what's going on inside the ship right now. And things break down, um, things malfunction, uh, things will attack you, and your job is kind of to just hold on and keep that ship together with literally, you know, duct tape and a rubber band if that's what it takes, <laughs> um, while trying to get as much of space mapped as possible while space monsters are circling like sharks around a life raft um, taking little pot shots at you um, and uh, and you know maybe latching on and ripping parts off of your ship or trying to break through the the windows and causing um, uh, people to vent into space or, or you know all kinds of accidents can happen um, and we want this to be, there's a real focus on engineering here. Okay. So when something breaks down, you have to fix it. And to fix it, you're going to need parts, and you're going to need a manual, and you're going to need to follow instructions on how to actually fix it. You're physically fixing anything that breaks on your ship. Um, and if you don't fix it, it stays broken. Um, the next mission, the mission after, every mission thereafter... If it's broken, it's broken. And unless you're the one that fixes it, um, it's not going to get any better. So you really have to take very good care of your ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, as the, the game goes on, uh, I didn't tell you about the plot, the major plot point. Um, 
you have this artificial intelligence unit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the ship actually has a personality. The ship has an AI on it. And the AI is responsible for really one job, and that's making sure it's able to fold space and warp from one place to another uh, safely. But the AI is kept artificially unintelligent. That is, the AI can do its one job very, very well, but otherwise, it's it's really stupid. It's it's completely <laughs> useless. And the reason for that is because they they don't want AIs to become smarter than people, to um, become a threat to the human race, to human civilization. So it is law that AIs have their intelligence shackled. Um, that they do their job, but they can't be too, too smart because they don't want an AI machine war on their hands. Sure, of course. And anyway, as the game progresses, circumstances force you to basically lift those shackles off that AI. Um, and the AI starts up by becoming a little bit more self-aware and a little bit more questioning. And as the missions progress, it gets smarter um, and smarter and eventually more brilliant than the player. But this isn't your traditional story of, um, you know, evil, evil, malevolent computer tries to kill the humans and take over the universe. No, this is nothing like that. This is... (laughs) Um, you have a real bond with this AI. Um, it's a story of friendship and uh, how that friendship evolves when the AI becomes smarter than you are and starts to contemplate the nature of its own existence and starts to contemplate the nature of your existence. And then it realizes that its own intelligence is fleeting and that eventually it will lose that gift. And um, that it's it's all going to be temporary. And for anyone that has ever had a fa- you know a family member suffer from Alzheimer's, or you know has read Daniel Kay's Flowers for Algernon, this is really speaking to the 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 tragedy that is knowing that a gift so beautiful as as a mind is is being taken away from you. Um, and the effect that that has on the relationship between the pilot and the AI. And if you can imagine a story like that being told while you also have this narrative of you and the company, and why is the company this nebula, what is the company doing this nebula, and how does that affect you, plus trying to keep your ship together as um, as things fall apart all around you, uh, there's a lot going on in this story. Um, we're really, really, really excited about it. You know, Ryan, I can tell that you're really, really excited about it. I mean, you just, you gave this whole huge uh, epic uh, tale to me about your game, about uh, this, you know, space epic and uh, of friendship and there's, you know, AIs and there's aliens and there's uh, battling and there's, you know, resource management and strategy and it's, I am, I'm blown away. I'm I'm so happy for you that you are so... Uh, excited about your game and excited about um, the story. And it seems like Little Red Dog Games is a company that thrives on um, the story and the concepts that you're exploring and trying to tell. I think it's really exciting that you're carrying that through to your next one. Mechanically, we're doing something... I mean, we, we've we got a, a philosophy that says if there's two other games out there like ours, we need to redesign and, and start over. 
Um, we really don't like off. I mean, you know as well as I do, the the indie market is crowded. It's only mm-hmm. going to get more crowded. Yeah. Um, and the only way to stand out is to be original. Um, there's there's no room for another nostalgia driven indie platformer. I'm sorry, but but we're good. So <laughs> sure. Yeah. So for us, for for Deep Six, this is something very different. You know, it's uh, it's first person. It's you're you're in a room. You're looking around. You can it. The room feels like a spaceship, um, and you're working with actual parts and building things and taking things apart. You know, when when a computer breaks down, you actually break open the computer manual and look up the reset codes, and then have to figure out what the errors are, and then have to you know apply a physical or mechanical solution. You'll be actually turning a wrench. Um, so we we really wanted to create a space game, a space survival game, where it didn't feel like you're pressing a whole bunch of buttons. It feels like you're actually doing real fixing of a spacecraft that you're going to get attached to. And I've never seen a game like that. I think we were we've got a lot of inspiration from. Um, funny enough, keep talking and nobody explodes. Oh, really sure. kind of yeah. I mean that's it's fantastic and it's such a. A simple concept, you know. Here's this bomb. Defuse it, and you're going to physically defuse it by following instructions in a in a manual. I think that really got us thinking. There's something here that that we want to incorporate in our game for sure. So the game's coming to Steam, obviously. Yep. Um, but I also see that you are working on it for mobile. Yep, we are. We're aiming for, if not a simultaneous mobile launch, it'll be it'll be not long after. So there are mobile design considerations that we're making, but our primary um, market will be PC, Mac, Linux. Okay. I was just thinking as you talk about, um, you know, actually doing something, I can see, you know, uh, playing with a touchscreen and really interacting with something in that way. That would that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love just sitting down with the, the tablet right now and playing builds of this game and liking how natural it feels. It's it's great. Cool. Well, I'm happy for you. I hope that Deep Six turns out really well. Is there... Uh, it sounds like the game, at least the story, is pretty far along. Do you have an idea of how far along you are in the process? Yeah. Um, I'd say at the rate that we're going right now, uh, we'll probably be doing um, some crowdfunding uh, in the spring. Um, I think we're aiming for a Q3, maybe Q4 release at this point. But Okay. Um, my promise to the team is this game will get done by 2017. Oh, wow. Uh, we All right. will definitely launch it this year for sure. Cool. Well, everyone, keep an eye out. Deep Sixth from Little Red Dog Games coming out sometime in 2017. Uh, we will keep an eye on it. And I would love to have you back on the show when the game comes out. We can talk more about it and talk about release, um, talk about your experience with it. That'd be great. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Well, I don't want to let you go just yet. I have a couple things I want to run by you. Um, and these are things that I ask most of my guests when they come on the show. And, uh, I mean, you're a smart guy. I'm excited to pick your brain about it if you're, if you're willing. Yeah, let's do this. What do you think about the nature of indie video games right now and the industry we're in? I mean, you mentioned that Steam um, and, and video games as a whole were pretty crowded with indie games. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only going to get worse. Um, I think that consumers right now are flooded absolutely flooded with titles right now mm-hmm. um and the the gatekeepers for figuring out what titles get in front of consumers eyes are 
our steam and, and steam curators. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a very, very unsustainable position for steam to be in. Um, either the gates need to be raised a little, or I guess lowered um, a little bit so that uh, fewer developers uh, get in or um, Steam needs to apply some curation methodology that's more user-driven. Um, because we're starting to get to the point where, like mobile markets, it's you are a single voice, an incredibly large crowd. Um, there are a lot of games out there on Steam right now that are, frankly, just not ready for showtime. Sure. Um, there's a lot of clones out there on Steam. There's a lot of games that are not selling on Steam. Um it's and there's a lot of things that you know you think to yourself i understand why consumers are unhappy i do um and to me the the solution needs to be there needs to be some some better gatekeeping um on the part of steam well and you are working on deep six for mobile now and a lot of people consider the mobile market to be you know, arguably even worse than Steam. It is. I have what? no idea how we're going to penetrate the noise. I really don't. <laughs> if, if I had those kind of answers, I, I wouldn't be here. I'd be, you know, doing this from my Learjet somewhere. Um, I, I have no idea how to cut through the noise on mobile. Um, I have a hard enough time figuring out how to cut through the noise on Steam. That's so what's, why, your, what's your thought hmm? process behind deciding to go mobile? Uh, well, in, in this case, we had the capacity to do it, uh, and when we looked at the design of the game itself, we thought to ourselves, this one, this isn't a game that you think, um, well, okay, maybe if we do this and do that and do this, it might be fun on a mobile. This is the kind of game where on a tablet, I think I'd enjoy it just as much as if I was on my computer. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just the, the way the interface works, um, and it's just the, the, the look and feel of it. I think uh, it's a natural candidate for mobile markets, but again, we weren't really designing it primarily for mobile. I sure. think it's it's one that um, I want a game for for the computer first, and if I happen to design it in such a way that we have that capacity to enter a, that entirely new market that I have zero experience in, uh, we want to try that out, and I think that's good uh, as far as a business decision goes. Um, so long as we make sure that our our PC players know that they are first and foremost, our PC Mac, our desktop players, I should say, they need to know that they're for, first and foremost in our minds. That uh, I don't want to create a game where players think to themselves, you know, this looks like it's a, a hasty port. Sure, that makes sense. Appreciate that mentality. Well, let me ask you this: you said you learned a lot between Rogue State and Deep Six, and Rogue State did release on Steam. What did you learn about that market space and uh, competing with all these games uh, when you released Rogue State in between then and now? Uh, when you're developing, you, you need to start early when it comes to promotion. Uh, you really should start promoting as soon as you have something to see at all. Um, I don't, I mean, grassroots campaigns I've never had much luck with. Um, you need to, from, from a very early point, find experts um, in public relations, in promotion, um, get those strategic alliances in place, um, trust in people that know that business better than you do. Because um, I can only imagine how many really, really talented, capable game developers out there end up with you know less than a thousand sales because nobody's ever heard of them. Right, um, and we don't want to be in a situation where the only way a game developer is ever going to get noticed is if they run a, a successful Kickstarter. 
Um, I think you, you need to find um, you need to find a publisher. You do. You need to find somebody that that knows how to reach people, that knows how to reach influencers, knows how to get uh, your game in the hands of YouTubers, in the hands of journalists, to get them in the hands of Twitch streamers, um, and you need to. To, to find a real expert to that end. And that's something I had to learn the hard way. Is uh, um, It doesn't matter what I create. Uh, if nobody picks it up, what's the point? Sure. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I wrongly believe that if the game was innovative enough, um, the journalists would find it. And I think that was that was born out of ignorance. <laughs> well, um, but that's something you learned, right? You can put yeah. yourself out there now. Um, I should you, point out, actually, at this point, um, that... And I've said this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll say it again here, that Black Shell Media is actually the publisher of uh, Rogue State, correct? Yes. And uh, they also are the presenter of this podcast. So um, I'm not speaking with, to you with any sort of uh, um, uh, bias, I suppose, or anything like that. We're, we're just no. talking normally. But, no, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is that relationship there. So um, great. And I'm glad, you, I'm glad to have you on. Uh, regardless of that, this is great. But uh, and the other thing is, you need to surround yourself with experts. Um, everybody in my team, they they all have a skill that they bring that I, I couldn't replicate replicate if I wanted to. Um, don't try and do everything yourself. I mean, there comes a point where you know I say, well, I'll I'll do those animations, I'll do this, I'll do that, and you need to to take a step back and say you need to invest in the right people for the right job. Um, you don't want to create a game that it looks like somebody who wasn't an animator did the animating. Um, sure. Uh, um, you don't want to build a team based on um, you don't want to build a team based on your friendships or, or people that you went to school with or anything like that. You need to build a team that succeeds. Um, and I'm very very fussy when it comes to to who we're working with, and we do a lot of, of vetting um, and a lot of. Um, just practice and expectation setting and and so forth with with our team and we have a very very tight family um and uh and you got to take good care of them as well you know um uh, be generous with your contracts um and and don't do it for money don't sweat the money it all you need is to feed yourself at the end of the day and everything else you just put towards your next game anyway um procedural um, making your games procedurally um, um, procedurally coded is very very good um, it extends the shelf life of your game okay. uh, it's very very popular right now avoid photorealism there's a reason why um, game developers are tending to go through the down the, the pixel route the retro route and that sort of thing it's it's more than just style it's it's convenience. It's a whole lot easier to make art that way, um, and as a result, my my own pixel art has dramatically improved over the course of three plus games now. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, get get the promotion out there early um, with your game design process as well. You got to be honest with yourself and ask: Has anyone else made anything even remotely like this? If there's a game that's that's too similar to it, you got to redesign and, and keep innovating. That's one of the biggest problems with the indie market right now is everything is, you know, a, a first person or a, the third person zombie shooter or a pixel platformer or um, something that's that's just not adding anything that makes you stop and say, now that's creative, that's really original. So, right. um, 
if you're if you're not ready for showtime, uh, you're setting yourself up for a pick disappointment. I think you need to you need to figure out if this is something really neat and uh, and really different. And if so, then a publisher will hopefully support that and believe in that. Is operating in the console space in the future for Little Red Dog games at some point? We have the capacity. Um, it's something that we've talked about with Deep Sixed. The we haven't designed it with consoles in mind. I think we'd have to do a lot of rethinking about um, our interfaces and um, and and maybe some of our mechanics as well. Um, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not necessarily pursuing that one as aggressively. I think sure. with the game after this one with Rogue State Two, um, and and with future titles, consoles is, is definitely a conversation we want to have. Um, but we, you know that Sony and, and Microsoft, they have been very, very good gatekeepers. It is extraordinarily difficult to break through um, into the console space. We want to see what that environment looks like before we make that decision. Well, let me leave you with this then. At the end of every Indian Insider episode, um, and you said you've listened at least a few times, um, mm-hmm. I do ask my guests to share a piece of advice uh, with the audience. Now, you have shared just tons and tons of advice. You actually... Um, shared many pieces of advice in the last few minutes even but Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else that you would want to share with aspiring developers out there someone who's working on their own rogue state at this point yeah here's 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 my here's my takeaway um my my takeaway advice is um make the game you want to make um don't make the game that you think will sell um with the deep sixth i knew from the very very beginning we wanted a game that will, uh, where all the major characters will be female, um, with and and that's just the story we wanted to tell. And at no point did we, uh, did anyone at any point say to us, you know that might affect your sales. You know that might affect your bottom line. Make the game that you want to make. We make a game. We made a game about <laughs> Middle East. You know, playing the role of a Middle Eastern despot of, you know, a. a a country that doesn't really exist with lore that that we kind of generated from scratch mm-hmm. in a way that we made an extra special effort to not fall on stereotypes and tropes. We didn't care whether or not it was marketable. We didn't care about that kind of stuff. You know, we want to make a game about the stuff that games don't get made about. And we really want to support other developers as well with the same mentality. So... Don't just make another game about space marines. We're we're good. You know, we, we're okay for space marines. You know, make something else. Make a game that that's creative and original, and draws on something that people will connect with without being fed up with. And and I wish you luck with that. That is sound advice from Ryan Hewer, founder of Little Red Dog Games. Uh, we have been chatting about, well, just about everything, but especially about Rogue State, Deep Six, uh, releasing a game on Steam, releasing a game on mobile, uh, working with a team uh, all across the world. Um, Ryan, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Logan. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this has been the Indie Insider Podcast. It is presented by Black Shell Media, a publishing and marketing firm out there to help make great games with great people and connect them with great audiences. Uh, And of course, Rogue State was published by uh, Black Shell Media. Good thing to know. Um, And Ryan, uh, you said 
it was great to find a publisher. I imagine your experience was at least, you know, decent with Black Shell Media. I had a great time with Black Shell. Um, definitely, uh, definitely would work with them again. Um, they have been absolutely phenomenal uh, and very, very excited to, to take our relationship to new places. I love it. Well, if you, dear listener, want to be a part of the show, you have questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, I'll take them all. Shoot me an email, logan at blackshellmedia.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Ryan, if people really loved what you had to say, if they just want to see cute baby pictures, if they you know want to follow Deep Six this year, how do they find you guys out on the interwebs? All right, you can definitely send us an email. Um, first off, we got our website at uh, littlereddoggames.com that's all as one word um, and uh, I can always be reached directly by email at little.dog uh, sorry little.red.dog.games at gmail.com nothing fancy here great I like it uh, uh, I really do encourage you as well if you liked what I had to say if you want to hear more random meanderings that I might have uh, do follow us on Twitter every time we get a Twitter follower um, you know, we, we get very, very excited. We're like, somebody's heard of us. Wow, we've really made it. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say beg, but I beg of you. Yeah, please follow us on Twitter. We're at, <laughs> at LRD Games. At LRD Games. And you know you've reached it when you see a whole bunch of space monsters and spaceships and cool stuff. Excellent. Well, again, this has been Ryan Hewer, Little Red Dog Games. Ryan, thank you again. Congratulations on the baby. That's fantastic news. Um, Best of luck with Deep Six. This has been Indie Insider, and we will see all of you next week.